Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson has delayed enforcing the city's 60-day shelter limit for the third time. We want to give every person and every single family that has come to our city enough time to process their work authorization, find housing, start a new life in our great city. So we have, we have made the decision to extend the shelter state policy based on original exit dates from mid-January through the end of March. That is a welcome yet temporary reprieve for the 1,900 migrants who were set to be evicted from shelters this Thursday. So joining us now to talk through Mayor Johnson's decision and other developments over at City Hall is Tessa Weinberg, WBEZ city government and politics reporter. Welcome back, Tessa. Thanks for having me again. Good to see you. So that 60-day shelter limit, as I mentioned, it was supposed to be enforced this Thursday, as in two days from now, but it's been pushed back. So give us the latest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is the third time now, just this month, that it's been pushed back. So as you can imagine, a lot of, you know, anxiety and confusion for, you know, migrants who this is affecting. And the city said, you know, it wants to, you know, be compassionate and try to give people more time to find housing, to secure work permits. While the mayor was really stressing, you know, the shelter has always been intended to be temporary. This has never been intended to be a long-term housing solution for folks yeah I um, mean the city acknowledged they you know there was delays in getting case managers to all 28 shelters they were only really in about half of them till earlier this month so acknowledging that as well and so now people who were going to have to leave between January and March they're gonna get another 60 days mm -hmm. so that's about 5,700 people and anyone who was going to leave in March which was a little over 2,000 they'll get another 30 days and anyone who's newly entering the shelter system will still only be limited to 60 days so you mentioned there the obvious need to find long-term housing for these migrants but did, did the city sound like it had a plan to actually help migrants find that long-term housing by march yeah so since you know last year there has been in place a state administered rental assistance program um, and that was giving folks up to six months of, you know, subsidized rent, essentially, to help folks move out of the shelter system. But since November, when these new limits were announced, um, people are no longer eligible to receive that, you know, financial help. Mm -hmm. And so the city has pointed to, pointed to instead, you know, just case management it's providing. Um, you know, there's been groups like New Life Centers that are have been brought on to help just do more hands-on support. Um, and they they said when they're announcing these um, this delay that, you know, they're going to be implementing more, you know, scheduled check-ins with folks, um, two different check-ins, one two weeks before a 60-day deadline is coming up to assess, you know, are you going to need to request shelter again? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because once evicted, mm -hmm. where are they expected to go? Yeah, so I think that it will be, um, remains to kind of be seen what that will look like, you know, come mid-March when these come up, because initially, um, the plan was if folks, um, once they have to leave shelters, to, they have to return to the landing zone, which is this basically kind of vacant lot on the nearby side where um, people were staying on warming buses, which a lot of migrants, you know, were saying they didn't have basic necessities. Yeah. It was not really great conditions. It wasn't warm. It wasn't warm. Um, but since we saw the cold snap, folks have not been staying there at the landing zone. So I think it's a little bit up in the air of, um, you know, come mid-March, are we going to return to that? Will there be more shelters in place by then that are funded by the state mm -hmm. of what things will kind of look like? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, is, it's quite tense. This situation is coming from all sides. We know that nearly a third of the city council at this point has urged the mayor to rescind the 60-day the policy altogether. Mm -hmm. What do you say this means then, Tessa, for the future of this policy? I mean, with all of these angles coming at him, do you think Mayor Johnson could change his mind? Yeah, I think it'll have to, you know, really depend on where we're at, you know, maybe a month from now. Um, I think, you know, I think most people, while even today, the um, alderman uh, Andre Vasquez, who chairs the city council's immigrant 
um, and Refugee Rights Committee, he said he was grateful for the city to to delay this policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, we saw with the, the 16 council members asking for it to be rescinded, it was kind of a, a wide swath across the political spectrum. There were some of his progressive allies. There were more moderate right. council members who have been vocal critics about his handling of the migrant crisis. So I do yeah, think some of that, his allies were, were surprising. Yeah, I think list. it just shows some growing pressure of just, you know, people saying like, this is not working. Enough we is enough. Process. Yeah, and I think, you know, you know, a lot of the criticisms from the start has been this was going to happen when winter was going to place. Maybe the administration is banking on warmer weather. will make this maybe more feasible to do. Mm-hmm. I think we'll have to see. We're also assuming that the winter season will be done in March. Right, <laughs> which probably not. <laughs> not not going to happen. Uh, speaking of the city council and, and delays, Tessa, I want to turn to tomorrow's council meeting. A resolution that's in support of a permanent ceasefire in Gaza that was previously delayed as well, but is now on the agenda for Wednesday. So catch us up to speed on where alders stand and the latest there. Yeah. So that resolution calling for the ceasefire was delayed last week because it was going to fall on um, International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And, you know, lots of city council members had expressed, um, you know, feeling that was not the proper time to discuss this. Now it's going to be coming up for a vote at tomorrow's city council meeting. Um, Alder woman Deborah Silverstein is the council's only Jewish member. And, you know, she had said previously she felt that that ceasefire resolution was Mm -hmm. one-sided. You know, the city council did last year pass her resolution condemning Hamas's attack, um, which has, you know, killed 1,200 people, saw roughly 250 people taken as hostage, which the ceasefire resolution notes, while also noting that in Gaza, you know, tens of thousands of people, mostly women and children, you know, have been killed. There's been millions displaced. And so, you know, the original version of the ceasefire resolution did not call for the unconditional release of the hostages, um, but an updated version obtained by my colleague, Mariah Wolfel, who's been doing lots of reporting on this. Um, mm-hmm. It does call for that now. And so, yeah, we're able to see that, you know, come up tomorrow, what this new updated version will look like. Um, but we've already gotten some indications that there is going to be, you know, maybe a competing resolution mm-hmm. uh, also proposed. it be interesting to watch for sure. Now, something else I'm paying attention to, a few local unions, including the Chicago Teachers Union, they voiced their support for the ceasefire resolution. I also know that today several students are planning to walk out, CPS students across several high schools, also doing this in support of uh, the resolution. Now, will this impact city council's decision, you think? I think we have seen... school level? Yeah, you know, public pressure really play a role. I mean, since last year, we've seen repeatedly, you know, pretty much nearly every city council meeting this be really the a big topic that people are coming to, you know, express their um, their voices on. And so, um, you know, even with the, the unions coming on support, it was a mix of, you know, public unions like CTU, private industry unions. Um, and so I think it, you know, expresses just the, the range of opinions and um, that have really been stepping forward to, you know, voice their, their yeah. support or opposition to this. So talk more about what we can expect from the vote this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's definitely going to likely be, once again, lots of debate yeah. um, around this. It's probably going to be the main, you know, one of the main items we see discussed tomorrow. Um, Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez, you know, still has to substitute the ceasefire resolution with this new updated version. Um, and then um, two alder persons, alder women Deborah Silverstein and Alderman Ray Lopez, they said today they're planning to introduce tomorrow a competing resolution that would call for the release of all hostages from Gaza, okay. um, which is, you know, a, a counter um, to the ceasefire one, even though the ceasefire one is planning to be updated with, 
you know, similar um, calls of for hostages to be released. Um, and so the only one, though, that like will, will be get voted on tomorrow is the the ceasefire um, resolution. But, you know, whether it has enough votes to pass, what happens with debate tomorrow uh, really remains to be seen. But, you know, uh, all the persons in, in support of the ceasefire have noted that, um, you know, this is something that the city council wants. They want to see the city council really take a stand on this and express mm-hmm. support, um, you know, to end kind of the, the you know, suffering and, you know, human life that we've seen taken. Yeah. I mean, last week, Mayor Johnson backed this call for a ceasefire in, in Gaza. And we know that Johnson is the biggest city mayor to do that, to mm-hmm. officially call for a ceasefire. How do you think his stance could impact the national democratic conversation mm-hmm. on Gaza? Yeah, he was asked that, um, you know, last week when he brought up his, um, you know, support for the ceasefire. Well, what did he say? But he didn't really comment on, you know, what he thinks this will this will mean for the DNC or just Democratic leaders at a federal level who, mm-hmm. you know, could have more of a maybe impact on this. Um, but the DNC, you know, is definitely going to maybe be a backdrop, I think, just for this conversation. You know, it's already kind of a huge issue for the Democratic Party, a wedge issue for Democrats. Um, Chicago's, you know, an organizing town. And so I think, you know, if the city were to take a stance on this ahead of time and, and make its position known, um, maybe it could have some opportunity to shift the conversation and, and you know, just kind of set the stage for, you know, what this may look like come summer when the DNC comes to town. Yeah, well, and let's, let's shift here from uh, our quick discussion there on national politics back to local. You've got this piece out this morning. It's online right now at WBEZ.org, and it talks about how polling stations will likely be understaffed for the Illinois primary elections coming up in March. Why has it been so difficult to, to get poll workers recruited. Yeah, you know, this is really a, a perennial problem for election authorities yeah. and election officials. I feel like every year. Yes, yeah, they're they're making those pleas um and you know, they, even they acknowledge they they know it's it's long hours, you're getting up super early in the morning to be there when polls open. You're staying till results are, you know, finished, which that could go late into the night sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a ton of pay necessarily, even though they are trying to boost that. And, you know, you're at the center of just, you know, what could be a really politically fraught day as we've seen elections, um, you know, kind of become, you know, much more heated. Um, and I think just more kind of broadly growing kind of voter apathy that they're trying to cut through mm-hmm. and, and really plead to people that, you know, be, Poll workers are really just the heart of the democratic process and right. really are the way that you're able to cast your vote. I mean, so how do you think this understaffing will affect us on primary day? Yeah, so election officials, they did note that, you know, since it is a, president, a presidential election year, that helps, you know, tend to boost some interest. Okay. Um, but they even said, for example, at the Cook County um, Clerk's deputy elections director had said, you know, they'll probably have about 6,000 poll workers, which means they can have three uh, election judges at e- each precinct, which is not great. You want to have five, but it's manageable. Um, and so, you know, that could translate, though, to voters. If there's not enough workers, if we have a lot of no-shows on Election Day, your polling place might not be open on time. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's going to ruin your your voting plans and might make it difficult. Um, you know, you might have a more congested time at the polls if yeah. there's just fewer workers. And for, you know, especially bilingual judges, which they really need, that helps mm-hmm. just ensure folks who, um, you know, can vote uh, in their native language. Yeah. Um, and so, so it might not be the smoothest of days, yes. but it's important. Yes. So, and so they there. need people yeah, to sign up. So if you're interested, yeah, Sounds they're, like the they're looking for folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it there. Tessa Weinberg's a WBEZ city government and politics reporter. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.